Talk to my friend Drew Allen. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As die-hard conservative. I to this guy for wisdom. Governor Kate Brown in Oregon, who, well, apparently she's been watching the news coming out of Australia and seeing the riots against the police who are coming in and forcibly handcuffing and arresting those, well, Australian domestic terrorists who aren't wearing masks in public and doing exactly what the government demands of them in the name of health and public safety. Well, she's seen what a rip-roaring success communism is there, and so now she's going to bring that to Oregon. So Oregon is now going to be Australia with her announcing mask mandates in public spaces. Public spaces regardless of vaccination status. We've got uh, Jin Psaki lying through her teeth again. Apparently, Joe Biden has reached a new deal with the Taliban. He's rushing to get out of Afghanistan. As we speak, he's delayed his press conference, so I'm still waiting for that. I'm holding out hope that uh, that will break during this episode, and we can go and address that as well. So apparently, the Americans are fleeing ahead of schedule, and Americans will most certainly be left behind because, well, there are thousands Still there, haven't been able to get to the airport thus far, haven't been able to get out of Afghanistan, and now we're fleeing ahead of schedule. But according to Saki, if you listen to Saki, no American has been left behind. Well, this world, and I mean the world now, but of course my main focus is on America, is in a world of trouble. And I don't want to sit here today. I don't want to beat you down with negativity. I'm I'm doing my very best to stay upbeat and deliver some of this news to you all. Of course, I will focus on some elements of hope. But the news is just... It's not good. And it gets worse by the day. I mean, honestly, you know, every day we wake up and... and, Well, I, I don't do this anymore. I used to, I think... I used to tell myself, of course, goodness, you know, this, uh, this is so bad it could not possibly get worse. And of course, you wake the next morning and things are exponentially worse. Only the Democrat Party and Democrats can break through their own ceiling of insanity time and time again. But we've got a lot of other news as well to get to. I don't want to get caught in the weeds today. I don't want to do it. There's too many stories. If I spend all my day going through all the stories and commenting on every story, well, this program would, it would never stop. I'd have to sit here and uh, take shots of caffeine all night long and, and, and never sleep. 
But uh, I guess let's start with, with this. There is a theme. There is a theme. There is an opportunity here. Because there is a through line to everything that we're seeing take place, whether we're talking about this unending war against COVID, which is not a war against COVID, by the way. It's actually a war against the American people. They call it a war against COVID. But that's just a cover to attack American citizens and fundamentally transform not only this country, but our own minds, the way we look at our relationship with the government. You see, before March of 2020, before the appearance of COVID-19 on the scene, well, we didn't, well, we still, enough of us in this country, we would never allow the government to seize our unalienable rights. We would have rejected the notion that our rights come from them. We would have well, remembered what the Constitution said. We would have perhaps remembered what, well, the Declaration of Independence says and what was unique about this nation. And now, of course, Americans are more than willing to give up not only their rights, but your rights and my rights in the name of health and public safety. And so I guess we will start with COVID today. And as that news breaks, I'll keep an eye on it here. I'll have, uh, with Afghanistan, of course, the continued, continued national embarrassment that is the Biden administration's intentional mishandling of Afghanistan. Well, we've got to talk about COVID because this story with Kate Brown just Well, it reignites the debate. It ensures that, well, it should should solidify in your mind and my mind that this is all about control. Those of you or those friends of yours that have been holding out, believing naively in the greater angels, the better angels amongst us who are in government, who are only looking out for us, please, just for the sake of this country and for the sake of your own self-respect. Please, please understand and admit that this COVID baloney is not about your health or my health. It is simply about control and what we just spoke about. I, um, I want to play. Let's start with the vaccine mandates and then we'll get into more of this. Because many in government and many individuals have come out, of course, in favor of the vaccine mandates now. They were just simply, of course, waiting for the FDA approval to give them renewed ammunition to bring about what they intended to do all along, which was put their foots on the neck of the American citizen and break us. So that finally we accept our fate at the hands of our government. So that we no longer have a fighting spirit. So that we are willing to, well, be domesticated. Domesticated like dogs to our masters and governments. 
But the through line that I was speaking about with all of this are individuals who spring up from amongst us, by the way. You aren't born into your position in government. You seek election. You seek power. And for too long, because of the way... Let me put it this way. I, I, I think that if you go back to the founding of this nation, of course, those courageous Americans, the idea behind serving in government was just that, service. It was not a lifelong position. The founding fathers could never have fathomed that such Americans would rise up amongst us who would well, serve in perpetuity. Their context was different. If you think about even the presidency, right? George Washington, they didn't have term limits for him. He set that precedent by stepping down. But that's the foresight of the founding fathers. They had the interest of America first even when they disagreed on certain things. They had admiration, respect for the great American experiment. But today, of course, it's been bastardized. The worst among us seek office, and the worst among us take advantage of the American people, and the worst among us are abusing their offices for their own personal gain and to defeat the American citizen, to beat us down, to become subservient to our government masters. These people are arrogant, condescending. They are those, the same ilk, because the truth is, you know, the human being has never changed, has never changed. That's why we have the checks and balances, of course, because the Founding Fathers could understand, of course, that it was a possibility that evil men would, raise up, would, would spring up amongst us. Abraham Lincoln talked about it. George Washington warned against it. But human nature has not changed, and that's important. And the same individuals who were kings and tyrants well, throughout all of human history, all of, our, all of mankind's existence on this, this earth, since we rose from the ground on our two legs, well, they are those that were the same as the plantation owners in America who, who expressed, who believed sincerely. When we talk about the plantation mentality, right, the, the slave owner genuinely argued in favor of slavery, Making such outrageous, egregious, condescending, sickening statements like, well, the black slave is better off under my control. The black slave is better off in a system in which his or her life is governed by me, by white men. They're too stupid to make their own decisions. They're too ignorant to feed themselves. They're too stupid to take care of their own families. And so, look what we're doing. We're giving these blacks a place to sleep. We're bringing in doctors when they give birth. 
And when that child is of age, we will put them to work in our fields picking cotton. And that's the best that can be expected for them because these poor lowly blacks, they just couldn't survive on their own. And it's my responsibility. It is my duty as the white owner to see to it that these people get fed, to see to it that these people get worked, to see to it for their health and safety because but for me, they couldn't survive. And so I must make all their decisions for them. And if that means they're slaves, so be it. So be it. It's better than going off and being destructive or dying or, or letting their family starve. This is the argument. This is the same attitude. And, and look, I've been around this my entire life. I've been around it since I was a kid. I mean, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. For those who, of you who don't know me, you know, I, I have been around these elitist circles my entire life. And but for the grace of God, I suppose, I never adopted those views. I always rejected them. That's thanks to my parents, my parents who instilled, instilled values in me instilled, well, the age-old, important American values of individuality. And these people I grew up with in high school, for example, I remember hearing liberal friends of mine make statements in favor of certain policies that were destructive and absolutely reprehensible in terms of how they viewed Another portion of society, well, they would say, for example, well, you know, there are just so many people who are just too stupid to make their own decisions, and so we have to make the decisions for them. They can't run their own lives because they're not like us. They're not elite college preparatory students. You know, I'm going to Harvard, and that person's never going to get there, and so, you know, it's a good thing for society that they be told what to do. This is the attitude, and that's what we're seeing now. And so I want to play a few clips to explain exactly what I'm talking about, because I know these people. I understand these people. And they will never stop. They are wired this way. This is what we're up against. This is what we're up against. And these are the people who seek power. And when they get power, well, we experience what we're experiencing today, not just in this country, but around the world. And I can't think of another time in human history in which so many countries at the same time were suffering from the same... Well, totalitarians. I mean, not since modern American history. I mean, certainly before 1776, of course, right? Before America, the uniqueness that was America was born. I mean, that was the state of mankind throughout history. And then, but for America, adopting this revolutionary idea that upended that age-old notion that our rights come from man and instead said, no, they don't. They come from our creator. We believe in freedom. We believe in unalienable rights. And of course, we used to be in the, the business of exporting freedom and democracy and these higher ideals, these enlightened ideals. But now we have Americans who are fighting against those ideals. We have Americans who believe absolutely foolishly that the rejected, once rejected notion that our rights come from man, they believe that is a higher ideal now. We're living in the dark ages. And that's going to be the theme, I think, today. Our new dark age. But remember what I said about these people. They don't have compassion. They don't have love for anyone. Everything they do, even if they say it's for someone else's good, it's out of disrespect. It comes from arrogance. 
And we're going to play some clips. Here we go. You've got to be there and get vaccinated. And I think that's a good thing. I know I respect people's freedom. But when you're talking about a public health crisis that we've been going through now for well over a year and a half, the time has come. Enough is enough. That was, of course, none other than Tony Fauci. The... Well, I don't believe that anybody, anybody encompasses the type of condescension, animosity, and hatred for the American citizen and our individual choices, our liberty. No one displays that more, that hatred for it and us, than Tony Fauci. What he's responding to is this push now from Biden who came out I mean, forget what's going on with the Taliban in Afghanistan. We, we can't hear a word or a question answered from Biden about that. No, he's still focused on this new FDA approval of the vaccine. And Biden gave a speech and he said, well, now he, he's encouraging businesses in the private sector to require vaccination as a matter of being the terms for having employment. So basically, you either get vaccinated or you lose your job. And Fauci thinks that's a great idea. The American citizen cannot be trusted to make his or her own health decisions. If that individual chooses not to get vaccinated, we will make them get vaccinated. Make them get vaccinated. Enough is enough, Fauci says. Our insubordination is intolerable to these tyrants. That's the attitude. But here we go. Let's listen to another individual. Basically, profess the same thing as Fauci. Look, human beings do well when they have carrot and stick. So uh, a mandate helps people to realize it's time. FDA final approval on Pfizer said it's time. Now, the Biden administration could do something else that would really help us all move forward, speed the approval of the vaccine for the 5 to 11-year-olds. It's time for that. Look. Two, two observations right off the bat here, okay? That was uh, New York City Mayor, Communist Bill de Blasio. Americans r- respond to the carrot and stick. These people talk about the American citizen like they are animals, not human beings. Carrot and the stick. That's how he thinks of you and me. That's how he thinks of other people. De Blasio, mayor of New York City, billionaire, whatever he's worth. Americans respond to the carrot and the stick. Second observation. Now he wants forced vaccination for the 5 to 11-year-old range. This is an insane man, unhinged, who should be in no position of responsibility. And of course, here is how our new government operates. They utilize the instruments of government, the FDA, the bureaucracies. They work in tandem with the media and everything else to give them what they think they need to then turn around and construe a narrative to the American people, weaponizing their arguments, putting teeth in them. So here he is saying, oh, Joe Biden should, now he needs to speed up Approval for 5 to 11-year-olds. It's not enough. It's never enough for these people. And that's why I'm telling you this will never end. Now they're, they're saying if you're of working age, this is a great thing. 
Your employment status is dependent on being vaccinated. Participating in society. Going to the movies. Going to eat dinner. Going to the grocery store. You can't even do that. You can't feed your family. You can't have a life if you do not get this vaccine. But that's not even enough. Now we need 5 to 11-year-olds getting vaccinated. That's Bill de Blasio. That's an emperor. That's a king. That's the type of man that the Patriots of 1776 went to war against. That's the type of attitude that was so reprehensible and intolerable to the Patriots of 1776 that they wrote the Declaration of Independence and went to war with England. And this tyranny that we are experiencing today and have been for a a matter of over a year now, this is beyond anything, anything that has been experienced in America's history before. This is why I say the Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. Where does this fella get off talking about us where he's got to dangle the carrot and the stick in front of our faces so that we will get vaccinated? But then I'm not done. Let's do Terry McAuliffe. Terry McAuliffe, another governor. Uh, we have 93 million Americans today that are not vaccinated. And we need to do everything that we possibly can. I tell my private businesses all the time, I hope you mandate vaccines for people coming in. Until we make it hard for people to get on planes or go to movie theaters, people just aren't going to do it. We're not going door to door, right. but you make life difficult. So that was uh, Terry McAuliffe. I think I, I, I mistakenly said that he's the governor of Virginia. He is the former governor of Virginia. He has uh, essentially been endorsed by the current governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. So McAuliffe is running... Uh, for governor of Virginia again to become governor for another term. But there you have him, McAuliffe. Well, he says we have to make life difficult for those Americans who resist getting the vaccine. Make their life difficult. And this is what de Blasio, the carrot and the stick, and so on and so forth, which is antithetical to America. Our unalienable rights, our right to go to the grocery store, our right to work, our right to feed our family, our right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that is not dependent upon getting stuck in the arm with a vaccine. A vaccine for a flu. It's absolutely, these people, I I, I am out of words for them. It's tremendously worrisome to me that so many Americans are okay with this, are okay with this way and manner of speaking about their fellow citizens. They can't respect someone's right not to get a vaccine. And I know what their arguments are. Their arguments are insane, stupid, and unenlightened. We have them saying that the unvaccinated are putting other people's lives at risk. The unvaccinated are putting other people's lives at risk? How so? Well, uh, the unvaccinated, you know, they're they're causing... uh, Uh, The virus to change and spread. Really? Really? That's not happening uh, because of the unvaccinated. 
that's simply a reality of what viruses do. We have flu shots, and these strain changes every single year. And to be honest, I am done having conversations about the science behind all this. I'm done having conversations about data because the data doesn't mean anything to these tyrants. They manipulate the data. They change the data. They pick and choose whatever data points they want to use. And when studies come out that are unfavorable to what they're proposing, they simply discredit them and say they're not real or they ignore them. A study just came out that proved that masks don't work. Again, in addition to Fauci, who said masks don't work, I wouldn't recommend wearing a mask. Masks are for the infected to prevent spreading the virus, not for anyone else. But now they want masks. It's not science. They're using the name of science, the cover of science, to manipulate and control the narrative and most importantly, control you and me. You know what masks are, by the way? The idea that masks uh, protect against a virus, which uh, the particle size is, well, so small. Let me paint a picture for you. The mask prevents getting the virus, as well as a chain leak fence, prevents mosquitoes. Do you understand how stupid this masking is? But it doesn't matter what the science says. Masks must be worn. And the reason we wear masks is not to protect anybody. They're about keeping the fear alive. In California, well, just I don't remember how long it's been now because every, every day things are changing here. But we had a period of time here in the communist state of California in which nobody was required to wear masks. Well, I should say the vaccinated weren't required to wear a mask, but nobody was checking vaccine passports, so nobody was wearing a mask, for the most part, largely. Life went back to normal. And nothing changed for the worse. Everyone was enjoying their freedom for a brief amount of time. In fact, people began to forget COVID as a distant memory. And that's what the reality is. If you didn't watch CNN, and if you didn't walk around looking at people wearing masks, being afraid for their lives every day, everyone would just go about their lives and none of this would matter. It would be irrelevant. Now, I want to address something else. These COVID tyrants, they continue to use overflowing hospitals, death of the vaccinated and unvaccinated, illness, infection, because their goal is not 15 days to slow the spread, it's zero COVID. Zero COVID. It's an unrealistic goal, and they know it's unrealistic. Just like climate change. Oh, if we, if we give up our rights in the name of saving the planet, well, we can prevent hurricanes, we can prevent wildfires, we can prevent... Warming. And yet, guess what's, what would happen even if we did that? It would continue to change. And they would continue to say, well, we're not doing enough. We're not doing enough. Right? So first it is, okay, we have to eliminate cars. Okay? So we eliminate cars. And then we still have hurricanes. Well, now we have to eliminate air travel for Americans. Okay? We eliminate air travel. 
well, we just had another um, drought, so now we have to force you into your homes. You can't eat beef anymore because the beefs are farting and their farts are contributing to the drought. No more beef. This is about control, and that's how they move the goalposts. You create an unrealistic goal. And, and most importantly, what they're doing here is they are shifting the blame from an uncontrollable virus to human behavior. It's your fault that this virus is still here. It's the unvaccinated's fault that the virus is still here. This is what they do with the climate. It's the same argument. You know, the, the climate, well, it's man-made climate change, the hurricane. It's not the weather. It's our behavior on Earth. So they have to change our behavior. They have to control our behavior, control everything about us. And that's the point of all of this. But now I want to address this uh, COVID bullcrap. And I'm sick of it. And I'm not arguing about science anymore. This is 2018. I believe it was January or February of 2018. 2017-18 was the worst flu season uh, in a decade at the time, more or less. And um, the same sensationalism we've been hearing every day for a year and a half now about COVID. Well, you listen and hear it for yourself. I'm going to split up the clips. I'm going to comment. And we're going to get through them. But this is 2018. Now, mind you. We did not shut down the economy. We did not attack American citizens and call them the unvaccinated against the flu. None of that. None of that. Americans would never have tolerated it because, well, the flu already existed, so we accepted it. And that's where the difference is. COVID was new, so they could reset our minds and create this sensationalism and fear porn. But here we go. This is 2018 CBS. Two young mothers from two different states died soon after getting the flu. Tandy Harmon from Oregon and Carly Ilkslavin from Indiana were both mothers of two. Their family said they were healthy adults. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says the number of states with high levels of flu activity jumped from nine on December 16th to 32 on January 13th. Stop the tape. Stop it there. Two young healthy mothers died from the flu, leaving children behind. That is an absolute tragedy. They died not from covid but from the flu. Now, as we progress in this reporting from CBS back in 2018, you will not hear these women condemned. You won't even hear it reported whether or not they received a flu shot. They call it the vaccination. There's no vaccine for the flu, just like there's apparently no vaccine for COVID. It's the exact same scenario. The flu, you get a shot every year, in hopes of preventing illness in this situation. And then the next year, it evolves and changes, and there's a new flu shot developed. So nothing is different. COVID is the flu. It is. But here you have two women. They're dead. I mean, today, though, if that was COVID, if they succumbed to COVID, the, the, the reporting would be so, so uh, outrageous. It would be, two healthy young mothers died from COVID today. This is the greatest disease ever to confront mankind. We must impose mass mandates indoors and outdoors. We must lock down the economy, put people in their homes. We must attack those who are not vaccinated against the flu because the flu is dangerous. Let's move on. Manuel Bohorkas is at the Palm Beach Gardens Medical Center in Florida where flu patients are stretching resources. Manny, good morning. 
Good morning. This aggressive flu season is causing problems all around the country. Hospitals like this one have been inundated, and some doctors say the medicine used to treat the flu is becoming harder to find in some spots. Here, they've even set up beds in conference rooms to accommodate all the new patients. Were we not told back in uh, March of 2020 that we had to lock ourselves in our homes and shut down the American economy 15 days supposedly to slow the spread because of fears of overrun hospitals and shortages of beds. This premise from the very outset was based on a lie. Need I remind you that they used a computer model out of the United Kingdom that predicted that 2.2 million Americans would die if we did not take actions immediately to lock down the American citizen and quarantine the sick and the unsick in their homes? Why would we not have the exact same response back in 2018? It's the exact same scenario, the exact same fear porn campaign being promoted, There are shortages of medicine. There are shortages of hospital beds. Hospitals are now using other rooms because they're overrun and don't have space because of how dangerous this flu season is. But of course, none of that was called for. None of that was called for. That was BC era before COVID. But now we're in the AC era after COVID. So now, today, when there's a shortage of hospital beds in one hospital in Florida, well, that's grounds for seizing our liberty. But let's continue with this CBS report because it is incredibly enlightening, in my opinion. This is probably the worst flu season I've seen in the last 10 years. Dr. Jamie Snorsky says the volume of new flu patients has put the Palm Beach Gardens Medical Center at full capacity. For some reason, these strains are hitting young, healthy people a little bit harder than in past years. And I'm not quite sure we know why that is yet. Notice the response from the health experts that are interviewed here. Now, this individual admits that this particular strain of the flu is hitting the young and healthy, harder than other strains. And yet there's still an acceptance that this would take place. There isn't this unhinged reaction, overreaction to what happened in that flu season that acts like this is some existential threat against mankind. It's simply an observation. We don't know why this is happening, uh, but it is. It's alarming. And that's it. They report on the issue. There aren't then demands on the public to give up their life and their liberty. There aren't demands that every American get vaccinated to protect the vulnerable. Because that's insane. But such is the state of the world today. We are insane. You, not you, my audience, but you out there who are freaking out about COVID and demanding vaccine passports, and saying that the unvaccinated are threatening you. You've lost your damn mind. This is context. We never had context in the entirety of this pandemic. No context whatsoever. Playing this clip, for example, would have been a nice reminder for folks back in March, back in April, at any time in the past year and a half, to get people to screw their heads on straight, 
and understand that people get sick and things happen and there's a virus and you have to accept it. What did we do during this flu season? Now, no doubt, no doubt back in 2018, if someone saw this report on CBS, they would have most certainly said to themselves, holy crap, that's worrisome. I'm vulnerable. I've got to look out. I've got to be careful. And so you wash your hands extra. Maybe you don't go out. Maybe you do avoid crowds. And that's personal choice. But there were no demands that everyone be vaccinated to protect other people. That's your choice. Go get a flu shot if you want. I hope this is providing some context to right the wrongs and the insanity that has been placed in our minds. But let's continue with this because they discuss the children. 12-year-old Dylan Winnick died Tuesday. His stepfather, Mike, says the family is stunned by how quickly the virus took him. No indications, no warnings, just a, just a common cold. That's what's so scary about it. In one Florida school district, 20% of students are out sick, so classes were canceled today so workers could scrub down the campuses. Gail? Yeah, i got to take it very seriously. Thank you very much, Manny. There we go. We've got a young son of somebody, which is certainly a tragedy, who died from the flu. And the father, even in his response, acknowledges, I mean, this is the common cold. It's unbelievable if this could happen to my son. And it is unbelievable. But that type of thing happens, unfortunately. Just like people die in automobile accidents, people succumb to all sorts of things. They fall off ladders and die. It's remarkable. It's horrible. It's tragic. But it happens. And here's Gail King at CBS saying, it's certainly serious. And guess what? The reporting ends. The reporting ends. They don't go on. They don't bring on a panel to talk about how irresponsible American people are who haven't been vaccinated, with quotation marks here in my fingers, against the flu. They don't go in, and de Blasio didn't come out, or any other governor or anybody else, other politician, didn't say, you know, to save one life and eradicate the flu, you need a flu passport a vaccination passport against the flu to enjoy your life and liberty, to shop, to participate in society. They didn't malign those individuals. They didn't create mandates. They didn't mask, by the way. Why? If masks work, okay? For all intents and purposes, let's say this. This is absolutely true. The flu is airborne and COVID's airborne. So what is it about the last year where suddenly... These fabric masks and every other mask that Americans are being told they have to wear on their faces, indoors, outdoors, in their own bedrooms. Why was this not known back during the 2018 flu season? How many lives could have been saved had we masked up for the entirety of the 2017-2018 flu season? Well, none, because masks didn't work then and they don't mask, masks don't work now. This is the 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 magnitude of the lies that are persisting and propagating throughout our society today. This is how insidious Tony Fauci is. This is how insidious de Blasio is. This is how insidious McAuliffe is and plenty of rhinos out there as well. And meanwhile, by the way, I, I probably don't need to remind you, but just over the weekend here in Napa, just a, a stone's throw away from where my house is, well, Nancy Pelosi enjoyed a private dinner with dozens upon dozens of guests, just like the big old birthday bash 
COVID super spreader extravaganza birthday party for Barack Obama and Martha's Vineyard. And guess what you saw from those scenes? Not a single one of these politicians was masked. Do you understand? They're telling you and me that masks save lives. They're telling you and me that our children should wear masks in schools. They're telling you that masks are the key. And yet, everywhere they go in private, they do not wear masks themselves. What does that tell you? At this point, if you watch these scenes unfolding of these politicians who demand from you what they do not do for themselves to protect themselves, and you believe that these masks work, you're stupid. You're stupid. You know, the time for kind of uh, politeness is over because the country is at stake. Liberty is at stake. And there was an article that just came out from a study that, of course, proves that masks are ineffective. They do nothing. Fauci admitted, as I've said time and time again, but now just because someone says masks work, in defiance of a study that says the opposite, in defiance of all of our history of not masking up, now all of a sudden they say it works. A scientist, a doctor. Well, were they so stupid for the entirety of their careers that they just now figured out that masks work? Of course not, it defies logic. And if masks did work, Pelosi would never leave anywhere without one on her face. Gavin Newsom wouldn't go in the French laundry in the height of the pandemic in California at a maskless dinner indoors without a mask on his face if he believed that would protect him. The truth is, the joke's on us. The joke's on us as we continue to allow this, continue to comply with this, and it's up to us to put our foot down and say enough is enough. But I want to play for you now, before we move on to the other things going on, because news has broken. Joe Biden has delivered his address without taking a single question about the, well, his deal with the Taliban. And we're going to get to that next, so stay with me. But let's do this. I'm in the mood for playing some fun music. I'm going to play music in between here. I'm going to take a short break. We're going to come back. We're going to play Governor Brown. Am I talking too fast? Should I slow down? I'm fired up. I'm fired up. I love this country. And games are over. It's too serious now. All right, this is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. We're going to get to the uh, promised clip here of Governor Brown in Oregon. You know, living in California, Oregon is the only state that rivals, well, seems to be trying to rival time and time again, California for the gold medal of communism. Somehow they are ahead of us, even, in their communist attempts. But then again, Gavin Newsom's up for recall. So uh, maybe if he wasn't being recalled right now, Things might be different. The foot of Newsom would still be on our throats, just like Kate there, Brown in Oregon, is now putting her foot back on the necks of the citizens of Oregon. So, you know, there's irony, of course. We have to talk about Australia as we lead into this clip because the irony is that Australia was once a penal colony, and how rich that it has 
once again return to a penal colony in which the citizens there are treated like prisoners. They have no rights whatsoever. The police are, you, are, are literally being utilized to stomp out the Australian citizens who defy their mask mandates in public, for example. Wearing a, well, going to the beach without a mask on your face, that will get you arrested right now in Australia. And uh, a revolution, hopefully, is in the midst there in Australia. And my support goes with the Australian citizens, because this is beyond the pale. And unfortunately, they all sold their guns in a gun buyback program, so they don't have, they're not an armed populace. And so that's why this has been so easy there. But here is Governor Brown with her speech today, announcing mask mandates in public yet again. Today, I'm announcing that effective Friday, August 27th, masks will be required in all public outdoor settings where physical distancing is not possible, regardless of vaccination status. Masks have proven to be effective at reducing transmission and are a necessary measure right now, even in some outdoor settings, to help us fight COVID and to protect one another. Masks will be required in perpetuity. Please put masks on your face to protect public health and safety. They must be worn at all times in public gatherings. This is Drew, by the way. I am back. Now, of course, my intention there is to display to you, does her voice, like my reenactment there, does it not remind you of those messages when you're at the airport or somewhere else where you tune out the crap that's going on about, you know, whatever the directives are in those environments? I mean, this is something out of some kind of futuristic novel. Here she is, defying the science, of course, going back to mass mandates, which never worked in the first place, because had they worked, the places that had mass mandates would have shown less severe COVID cases, which was never the case. So I've just, I've just had it with this. I don't know how these people can, well, I do know how they get away with it because so much of the American public is so dumbed down, incapable of thinking for themselves, thinks that wearing a mask is simply a minor inconvenience. What they don't understand is the bigger picture. They don't understand that this will never stop. They don't understand that this is part and parcel of, well, the guide the playbook of the left, to keep this COVID crap stirred up in the minds of the public, the fear campaign going on. So now, she, Oregon has effectively, by the way, it is our Australia. And now the question is, is simply, which state will be next? Which state will follow these guidelines? Because there's never just one. One tests the water, one sees how it goes, and the rest follow suit. Just like New York was the first with the vaccine passports, and now we've seen that spread across the country in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, city by city, county by county, state by state, these things persist. And so I just wanted you to hear her speaking like a mind-numbed robot, reducing Oregon effectively, and also, I don't remember the date she said, I don't want to go back and listen or play it, but the effective date of this public mask mandate is not today. It's in a few days. Does this make sense to anyone? I mean, even if we wanted to go along with her, false premise, her lie that masks work and they have to start wearing masks again in public to prevent the spread of COVID, 
Well, if it's so dire, why wait two or three days from now? Why not make it effective immediately? I mean, people still have their masks. Certainly. I mean, they've been wearing masks for the last year and a half. Why wait three days? Do you see how arbitrary this is? If you think about any of this and think it through with any level of critical thinking and rational thought, none of it adds up ever. None of it adds up at all any time. If lockdowns worked, for example, why would we not just go back to locking down the entire country? If the goal is to prevent a single additional illness or death, why not do everything possible to prevent that? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. So, as promised, uh, the news broke. Biden gave uh, another live speech um, about what's happening in Afghanistan. So I'm going to take one more short break. When we come back, we're going to hit that. All right, this is Drew Allen. We'll be right back. President Biden's remarks on the crisis in Afghanistan. Officials say the president will stick to the current deadline a week from today for the withdrawal. Here is the president now. The, uh, before I update you on the... Oh, oh, sorry, we'll have to wait. He comes to address the most, what should be the most important topic, his only focus right now, which should be getting American citizens stranded in Afghanistan, home safely. But no, no, he has to lead off with the infrastructure bill. Now, he was four or five hours late for this address, and now we know why. Now we know why. This son of a piece of garbage excrement thinks nothing of the American people, thinks nothing of those Americans who are fearing for their lives, being beaten on their way to the airport, trying to get the air to the airport, those who are willing to risk their lives to get there to escape. And this piece of crap, Joe Biden, comes out and says, before I get to that unimportant issue that I came to address about the deadline negotiation with a terrorist organization regime known as the Taliban, before I answer questions, well, he didn't answer questions ever, he never will about this, but before I address... The most important issue of the day, the week, the month, the year. I want to update you on an important message about my update to destroy America from within with this infrastructure bill. That's right. What he's talking about is the House came back and met and Pelosi was able to strong arm. This administration was able to strong arm the individuals in the House in order to pass a $3.5 trillion budget resolution. That's right, that's right, which has attached to it sweeping voting rights legislation. House Democrats forged ahead, that's right, with his economic plans. It was a 220 to 212 party line vote. And this was the $3.5 trillion budget resolution that Nancy Pelosi promised after the 
$1.5 trillion infrastructure bill came out of the Senate. This is the budget resolution process. So he's really excited about this victory, which is not a victory for any American. This is a defeat just like what happened in Afghanistan was. But this is the Green New Deal, of course. This is a deal that has nothing to do with infrastructure whatsoever. It's about transforming our economy, about further increasing our independence on foreign oil. And the price tag is $3.5 trillion. It's going to increase inflation. It's going to do great damage to this country. But there's Biden coming out, celebrating this. And this is where the Democrats' heads are at. You haven't heard from them about Afghanistan because they've been busy, under cover of this catastrophe, pushing this through. And i got to tell you, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, I'm actually certain they've taken advantage of another disaster to get this done. While the eyes were on Afghanistan, while the world's eyes were on the failure of the Biden administration, while our allies were turning to our foreign enemy nations, China and Russia, for help because the America, well, the United States of America can no longer be trusted as an ally. We have fallen so far from grace. Well, this is what they were up to. Busy getting the infrastructure bill done. But we'll come back to this, these people who are so out of touch with reality. These people who are so selfish, so power hungry. I hate these people. I really do. And I use that word intentionally. I hate these people because they hate you and they hate me and they hate this country. But let's go on. Let's see what Biden actually has to say about his failure in Afghanistan. To invest in our antiquated roads, highways, bridges, transit, drinking water systems, broadband, clean energy, environmental cleanup, and making infrastructure more resilient to climate, to the climate crisis, and so much more. And this is all paid for. Instead of giving every break in the world to corporations and CEOs. Oh, I'm sorry about that. We're three minutes in and he hasn't shut the hell up about this infrastructure bill because he's such an abject failure. He's trying to lean on anything he can to give, to distract, to convince his Democrat Party base that is now turning their backs on him, as they should, because of what he's done in Afghanistan, intentionally, that he's trying to search desperately for anything he can cling to, to change the narrative, to look like he's doing something positive. But there he is, roads, bridges, and then, of course, after roads and bridges, it goes to well, you know, make our our um, our our, our everything broadband. Um, we've got to secure everything against climate ch- climate change. This guy can go straight to hell. I swear to you. But anyway, let's see. Let, let, let's see how many minutes we have to get into before he actually talks about Afghanistan. And we had a productive discussion. There was strong agreement among the leaders about both about evacu- the evacuation mission underway, as well as the need to coordinate our approach to the Afghan to Afghanistan as we move forward. First, on evacuation, we agreed that we will continue to close our close cooperation to get people out as efficiently and safely as possible. 
We are currently on a pace to finish by August the 31st. The sooner we can finish, the better. Each day of operations brings added risk to our troops. Do any of you have any clue what the hell he just said? Because I sure as heck don't. No idea what kind of mumbled, garbled garbage just came out of his mouth. We're in discussions with the G7... You mean the people that hate you? The people that... Tony Blair, who is no conservative? Who came out and called you an imbecile, essentially, for the way you handled this? You mean those people? The people that are going to Russia? The people that are acting on their own to get their own citizens out? While you refuse to lift a finger to escort American citizens to safety to the airport? You're negotiating with the Taliban? You're negotiating with terrorists? What in the name of heaven does that have to do with anything? We have the capacity to send in troops. We could send in targeted SEAL teams, special forces, just like Britain's doing. With the SAS, we have the exact same capacity to get our people out of there. And here you are going on. And I, I'm not playing a single another word of that garbage. I have printed, actually, during that short break, the, uh, the transcript. The transcript. So you are, you are going through this with me in real time. So four minutes in, you know, he was still talking about... The Voting Rights Act, which is the non-Voting Rights Act. <laughs> I'm still going through it. Here we go. Let's see. Five minutes and 13 seconds into a 12 and a half minute speech. So he spends half the speech talking about this garbage bill that the uh, Congress was busy voting on. And then he says, as of this afternoon, we've helped evacuate 70,700 people just since August the 14th. 75,900 people since the end of July. Just in the past 12 hours, other 19 U.S. military flights, 18 C-17s and one C-130 carrying approximately 6,400 evacuees. Oh, my. Not a word, by the way, breakdown about how many of those individuals are Americans. You know why? Because most of the people being evacuated are not American citizens. They're Afghans. They're Taliban hiding amongst them, coming home. And they lie to us, and Jin Psaki lies to us and says, there's a heavy vetting process, when we know for a fact that in Britain, for example, already people on the no-fly list have come off those flights in Britain. So, of course, great vetting process. First, on evacuation, we agree that we will continue to close, close, close. Oh, he can't speak. That's right. So this is a word for word verbatim of what he said. First, on evacuation, we agree that we will continue to close, our close cooperation to get people out as efficiently and safely as possible. We're six minutes and 26 minutes and six minutes and 26 seconds into this speech. We are currently on pace to finish by August the 31st. You heard this. But the completion by August 31st, he says, depends upon the Taliban continuing to cooperate. What the hell does it mean? 
Our evacuation efforts depend upon the Taliban's cooperation. Are we not the United States of America? Are we not the most powerful military force in the world? Are we not the most powerful nation in the history of mankind? And you're sitting here saying our evacuation efforts depend upon the Taliban's cooperation? You tell them, Joe, as president of the United States, that if they harm a hair on the head of an American citizen, if one American citizen is harmed, we will obliterate them. We will send in fire and fury. We will not hold back. We will make sure that every single one of them is buried in a mass grave. No, but he doesn't say that because he gives the Taliban power. He is uh, deferring to the Taliban. The Taliban is telling Joe Biden what they want and what they need and what the terms are. Because America is no more under the Biden administration. We now give in to terrorists. We now give in to the Taliban. We no longer tell them what our demands are. We listen to what their demands are and plead and beg with them. This is a disgrace. I'm telling you right now, I'm 34 years old. Never in my life did I imagine we would be in such a scenario. And I'm certain those of you older than me absolutely never imagined a scenario like this. I've asked, this is Joe Biden, I've asked the Pentagon and the State Department for contingency plans to adjust the timetable should that become necessary. This is, this is literally hilarious. I mean, if it wasn't so serious, I would laugh out loud and cackle like Kamala Harris right now because contingency plans, is this not what got us into this mess to begin with? Did he not say when the Taliban took over Afghanistan, well, we had contingency plans even for this scenario? Well, apparently not, Joe, because they have, you know what? Let me move on from this speech. We might come back to it. We might not. His contingency plan, right? His contingency plan. Here is what the Taliban is now armed with thanks to U.S. taxpayers. This is from Town Hall. According to data from the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, SIGAR, the Taliban is now the most armed militant group today. Not only do they now possess large caches of firearms, including rifles and machine guns, but they now have combat aircraft and armored vehicles. One such aircraft is the A-29 Super Tucano. Each light attack plane cost $22.25 million, and there were 23 usable A-29s in the Afghan Air Force, which now is in the hands of the Taliban, thanks to Joe Biden. Thanks to Joe Biden. He armed the insurrectionists. Here's what they have. The Taliban now have around 170 M1151 HMM WVs, also known as Humvees. 170 Humvees. That's what uh, the, you and I have gifted the Taliban, thanks to Joe Biden, totaling around $41.5 million. The captured ammunition that is to be used for weapon platforms for the vehicles include 99,696 70-millimeter rockets, totaling 18.4 million. 60,840 40-millimeter grenades, totaling 4.56 million. 884,880 rounds of 50-caliber rounds, totaling 2.7 million. 2.01 million 7.62-millimeter rounds, totaling $1.51 million. $3.6 million worth in uniforms. 212 million and U.S. military aircraft, vehicles, ammunition, and spare parts. That's what the Taliban has that we paid for with our tax dollars that they will be using to fight a war against us. 
This is how serious this is. And this is why every Republican in Congress should be demanding his resignation, and if not his resignation, demanding impeachment. I know I'm hot. I know I'm hot. But what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to put a cap on my anger right now? This is the situation. This is the situation we're in, and we didn't have to be here. Let me just scam through this Joe Biden freaking speech again. <sighs> I, I, I mean, wow. The United States will be a leader in these efforts, and we'll look to the international community and to our partners to do the same. We're already seeing our allies' commitment. They're bringing to their countries the Afghans who... You know, he hasn't talked, he hasn't said a word, by the way, in this speech yet about American civilians getting out of there. And yet he spends all this time talking about getting Afghans out and settling them here in America. Taliban, settling them in America. Does anyone worry, by the way, about the national security threat that will, that will plague us in the future? About importing people from a culture that is antithetical to American culture? When most of these individuals still say they want Sharia law in America? Which is fundamentally opposed to women's rights, by the way. We go on, 9 minutes and 34 seconds in. We're conducting thorough security screening in the intermediate stops they're making for anyone who is not a U.S. citizen. Well, there aren't many U.S. citizens coming over, apparently, so that should be quick and short, right? Anyone arriving in the United States will have undergone a background check. Well, let me ask a question. Is this, this isn't that complex. You know, background checks are dependent upon someone's behavior, their record. They're, they're already being documentation for their existence. So if you do a background check on an Afghani refugee who's never set foot in the United States of America again, they won't show up on a background check, Joe. These people are imbeciles. Finally... Joe says, we agreed to stay vigilant against terrorist threats that have metastasized around the world. We went to Afghanistan with our allies in 2001 for clear reasons. One, to get the people who attacked us on 9-11, and to get Osama bin Laden, and to make sure that Afghanistan was not used again as a base from which the attack to attack the United States or our allies. We achieved the objective. Okay. This guy lives in an alternate reality. Again, impeach, impeach, impeach. So we went there so that Afghanistan couldn't be used as a base from which to attack the United States. So now the Taliban has taken over Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda is there, and so is ISIS. The three terrorist organizations who swear their lives in sacred honor to destroy Western civilization, specifically the United States of America. And he says, we achieved the objective. We didn't achieve the objective. We just made a situation worse than it was in 2001. Okay, 10 minutes, 44 seconds in. Let's see what he says to answer what I just came back with. But the current environment looks very different than it did in 2001, and we have to meet the challenges we face today. We run effective counterterrorism operations around the world where we know terrorism is more of a threat than it is today in Afghanistan. Okay, so because Afghanistan was neutralized in the past, 
he suggests that it won't be a threat in the future. This guy is so stupid. So stupid. I can't do it. Let's just get to the end of the speech. And tomorrow I've asked Secretary Blinken. Well, that's really encouraging considering he's the uh, laughingstock of the international community. To give you an update and a detailed report on exactly how many Americans are still in Afghanistan. So this guy is pledging that we're going to get out by the 31st due to the Taliban's demands. And he still can't tell us how many Americans are in Afghanistan. This is a disgrace. This speech accomplished nothing. It's garbage. So at some point, while well, he says tomorrow... He's going to have Secretary Blinken give us an update and detailed report on exactly how many Americans are in Afghanistan, how many Americans got out, and what our projection is. They haven't been able to answer this so far. How is this going to change tomorrow? What faith are we supposed to have in this administration whatsoever? And then he leaves. So thank you again. May God bless you and may God protect our diplomats and all those in harm's way. Well, God's the only thing that's going to protect him. So that part's true because the Biden administration isn't protecting any Americans over there, which has been proven time and time again. And then, of course, the reporters, as he's walking out, he turns his back as soon as he finishes. He walks out like a, like a, like a, a corpse, like a corpse. They shout, can you guarantee every American will be out before the troops leave? No response. He walks out the door. Mr. President, did sanctions come up at all in the G7 meeting? He's gone through the door. This is uh, the President of the United States. This is what Democrats voted for. And you Democrats, I've got a message for you. You're amongst the dumbest Americans in the history of this nation. And I said I'm done being nice. I'm done being nice because this is happening, and this is happening in large part because you believed, you believed, Democrats believed, that Mr. Orange Man was a white supremacist. Mr. Orange Man, who created the greatest economic situation in America in modern American history, the lowest recorded unemployment for minorities and the blacks specifically. We had a roaring economy. And these, you dumb Democrats, you dumb Democrats voted for this. This was what you said was superior to Trump. This is what you said was better. You said that Trump was evil, Trump was Hitler, and now look what you've done. Yeah, God bless you guys too. I'll pray for your souls, and I'll pray for some enlightenment in your minds because you are responsible for this. And this is on your shoulders as well, you Democrat voters. You put this in office, regardless of the cheating. You voted for this. You condemned Trump supporters. You condemned Trump. You turned your backs on Americans who voted for Trump, calling us evil and vile. And you've got the most evil man in the history of American politics in office right now, turning his back on the American people, the reporters asking questions, turning his back on responsibility, turning his back on Americans, leaving them stranded in Afghanistan to die. And I'm going to play a clip when I get back from this break. It should have your blood boiling. And if you're a Democrat, if you have a Democrat friend, I want you to play this segment for them. I want them to hear this. I want to hear the cries of this woman stuck in Afghanistan who is pleading for her life, giving up hope, knowing that the government is not there to support her. This is Drew Allen.
hour, it's getting more difficult. <laughs> Even when the course passed by, I feel like they're going to stop by the door and they're the Taliban and they're going to come in and kill us. <laughs> I'm really scared. Please, just, please help me whenever it's the soonest. <laughs> There you have it, an American citizen pleading for help. <clears throat> um, Jin Saki tells us no Americans uh, have been abandoned. Biden assures us uh, much of the same. And yet there you have the reality of the situation. She says... Uh, Hour by hour, it's getting more difficult. Even when the cars pass by, I feel like they're going to stop by that door out there, the Taliban, and they're going to come and they're going to kill us. That's what she says. I'm really scared. Pleading for help. And that's when the audio trails off. Now, if I am the President of the United States, and even if I hadn't heard that, but certainly if I had heard her cries and pleas, I would do anything and everything I could, which is a lot as the President of the United States, to protect this woman, to make her feel safe, to get her out of there and every other American who feels exactly like she does out of Afghanistan. And yet people like this woman, come August 31st, sayonara, sayonara. There's been no change in diplomacy, no change in strategy. These individuals will be experiencing the same challenges that she just expressed now until the end of the month. And if they can't get to the airport on their own because this administration has made it clear that they will not go and seek out these people, they're not going to go and find these people, they're not going to go and save these people, it's up to them. They're on their own to get to the airport. But if you don't get to the airport by August 31st, bye-bye. You'll be stuck in Afghanistan on your own. And this is uh, reprehensible. This is what evil looks like. This is the real reason impeachment exists. People like this. Biden. Saki. Nancy Pelosi. This Democratic Party. That amidst this woman's screams and cries, what were they doing? Well, they were busy trying to pass an infrastructure bill. This can't wait. The infrastructure bill can't wait. In fact, it's, well, it's convenient, is it not? That they chose this moment in time to push forward with this infrastructure bill through the House. They chose this week to get this work done. 
These people are evil people. These people are amoral reprobates. If you ever vote for a Democrat again, screw you. Screw you. And yeah, there are people like Kinzinger, there are people like McConnell, there are people like Lindsey Graham, Ben Sass. I can't name them all. There are many Republicans who are reprobates as well. But as a party, as a party, they are not united in evil like the Democratic Party. To vote, to vote for these individuals in the Democratic Party is to be part of the problem. And really, you know, my energy has totally changed now. I have a commitment here to carry on this program in a professional manner. And I will. But like many of you who just heard that call that I played for you, I mean, it sucks the energy out of you. It's painful. My heart breaks for that woman. And that woman is representative of thousands of other Americans who are going through the same thing. And how can an American president, how can an administration go to sleep at night knowing that that is happening and that they have the ability to prevent it, to stop it, to save them? And that's really the crux of the problem. These people hate you and they hate me. Mask up. Leave the American civilians stuck in Afghanistan. Get the vaccine. Make them, make their lives difficult if they don't get the vaccine. These people hate you and me. These are the dark ages. In terms of our foreign diplomacy, these are the dark ages in terms of our approach to humanity. These are the dark ages in terms of our view of the American citizen, of the Constitution. These are the dark ages in America. But there is hope. People are rising up. Where I live in California, for example, well, there's a recall effort underway to get rid of Gavin Newsom, who has shown the very things we've talked about on today's episode. He's the one who went to the French Laundry while he made tens of millions of Californians suffer, put their businesses out of business while he implemented curfews at night, banned indoor and outdoor dining, and while he did all of this, well, he found the time and used his position to secure a private dinner for him and 9, 10, 11, 12 guests for a party at the French Laundry. The French Laundry, by the way, I live in um, Napa Valley. I live in St. Helena, California. Nancy Pelosi happens to live in St. Helena, not far from me. Gavin Newsom has numerous wineries down the street from me. And the French Laundry is in a town called Yontville. 
The French Laundry is, it might be a three Michelin star restaurant. Nonetheless, it's one of the most expensive restaurants in the world. It's one of the most famous restaurants in the world, and it is here close to me. There's a waiting list to get into this restaurant, even if you have the ability, the funds, the wherewithal to dine there for $300, $400, $500 a person, even if you can pay for it. If you try to secure a reservation there today, you'll be put on a waiting list for a month at the minimum, but more likely two months, three months to get into this restaurant. And amidst the height of the pandemic and the shutdown, Gavin Newsom had a private event indoors at the French Laundry with no mask on his face. That says it all. Just like Pelosi, in which the poor saps in California were not allowed to go and get their hair done in a salon for fear of spreading COVID and dying, well, she walked around maskless in a salon in San Francisco and got her hair done, and the videos captured it. You and I are some suckers. The American people are suckers. And the American people who continue to listen to Pelosi or Newsom and give them any ounce of respect, well, you're stupid. You're part of the problem. You're reprehensible. You're a fool. You are insane. And so now we find ourselves in a position in California in which we have an opportunity to recall Gavin Newsom. And, uh, you know, there have been things in the news about some of these ballots, the way they're sent out. You know, um, the, the recall here in California is being conducted in the exact same manner as the 2020 phony election. Uh, I received my mail-in ballot in the mail. I did not request one. It's not an absentee ballot. It was just sent to me because they sent them to everyone in California on the voter rolls. Now, of course, what could possibly go wrong they didn't purge the voter rolls, of course. They didn't clean them up. Dead people are getting these ballots. So there's plenty of opportunity to harvest ballots. Harvesting ballots, of course, is when a third party is able to go door to door and take a ballot from someone who lives there. They could tamper with it. They could talk to them. They could have them vote. It could be an old person. They could fill it out for them. And then that third party could take that ballot and turn it in for them. That's what happens in California. So Larry Elder is the clear frontrunner should Newsom be recalled to win and replace him as governor until the next election. But already he's up against this kind of cheating. And I have a story here, headline, California police find hundreds of recall ballots, guns and drugs inside sleeping man's car. Well, he's Probably a Trump supporter, right? <laughs> Every Trump supporter has hundreds of recall ballots in their car, guns, and drugs. That, that's the epitome of a Trump supporter, of course. Authorities are investigating 300 unopened mail-in ballots for the upcoming recall election found inside a parked car at a convenience store in Torrance, California. Inside the vehicle, the officers found a loaded handgun, some narcotics, 
And then they found a bunch of mail and what turned out to be over 300 election ballots in the backseat of the vehicle. Police were called on August 16th about a man sleeping in his car around 10.45 p.m. at a 7-Eleven convenience store. Well, they, uh, the ballots, they appeared to be in a box, but they were also kind of strewn across the back seat of the vehicle, and so there was just a large portion of mail in that back seat. Sergeant Mark Ponagalek said. Authorities took the man to custody, and he was released on his own recognizance. Police do not know how he obtained the ballots or what his intent was. Will there be any discovery about this? Yeah, probably not. The election ballots, they were untampered with. Well, that's reassuring. He hadn't gotten a chance to tamper with them, I suppose. Glad they caught him sleeping. Anyway, they were untampered with, unopened. A little over 300 of them found, primarily from addresses in Lawndale. There were some from Compton. We're still trying to figure out where all these belong to at this time. So we're working with the Los Angeles Election Office, as well as the U.S. Postal Inspector. The Los Angeles County Registrar's Office told local news that the ballots found were for the upcoming recall election of Governor Gavin Newsom on September 14th. The ballots were accounted for as being sent out to voters but not yet returned. Woo! These, these are real sleuths, aren't they? Well, they were sent out, but they weren't yet returned. Good, good. I feel better already. There's nothing. Here, here's the kicker for me. You ready? This is, the, this is, a, this is a quotation from an uh, official. There's nothing to indicate this was focused on the election, the county registrar's office said. You know, it's like, um, it's like finding um, you know, 300 dime bags of cocaine in the back of a trunk, and suggesting there was nothing to indicate uh, these dime bags were intended to be illegally sold to drug buyers and drug abusers. This is the, the insanity. You know, this is what actually worries, about, worries me about this story. You have a, a, a county registrar, an official there at the office, who says that a man who has 300 ballots for the recall election in his car that have been taken from all these different addresses from Compton to Lawndale. And this registrar, this, this member at the registrar's office is telling us this isn't focused on the election. It's not, I, mean, I don't think I need to say anything before. This isn't focused on the election, you stupid pig. A CBS News YouGov poll found that enthusiasm for the upcoming election is higher among Republican voters than Democrats. The poll found that 78% of GOP voters said they definitely will vote in the recall, while 73% of Democrats said the same. And while 54% of all registered voters supported Newsom, that edge narrowed to 52% when looking at people likely actually to vote by September 14th. Newsom has a problem. And again, just to describe to you how things work here, there are two things you have to do on these ballots. You have to vote yes or no to recall Newsom. So that's step one. And then you have to vote for someone to replace him. And so if more than 50% vote to recall Newsom, then, only then, 
Will the individual of the 40-something people on the ballot, the one who gets the most votes, will replace Newsom? So it's a two-step process. And so it doesn't matter if, you know, uh, Larry Elder, for example, gets 10 more votes than somebody else. doesn't matter if uh, nobody votes and Larry Elder gets five votes and nobody else gets five votes. Larry Elder will replace Newsom, but only if a majority of voters vote to recall Newsom. And now there have been reports, of course, and this is true. Some of the ballots have these windows on them in which when you receive the, the, the mailed-in ballot that's been filled out, you can see if someone has voted yes or no to recall Newsom. Now, this is not every county. I have my mail-in ballot. That's not the case. You can't see. There's no window on my ballot. So, yes, this is a problem in some of these big cities like L.A. I understand this is where this is happening, but it's not the case in Napa Valley where I am, okay? But nonetheless, the problem is I don't have much faith in this election. I mean, the reality is, you know, if Larry Elder wins, I mean, I, I mean, it, it should be the case based on the resentment against Newsom over the past year and a half. But here's the thing. If, if Larry Elder or another candidate does not win, let me, let me put it this way. If, if the recall does not go forward, if a majority of Californians don't vote to recall Newsom, no one will believe it. And no one will believe it because we've got these massive mail-in ballots. We know what happened in 2020. And the integrity, this is the point. This is why 2020 was so dangerous. Our, uh, the integrity of our elections has been damaged forever. Until we go to a point where, there, here's the truth. I don't care about people being inconvenienced for voting. You should be inconvenienced to vote. It shouldn't be easy for you to vote. It's not easy to drive a car. You've got to go to, to driver's ed. You've got to pass a test. Then you've got to get your license. There's so many steps involved just to drive a car. Well, driving this country via elections is far more important than anyone's right or whatever it is at 15 years old, 16 years old to drive a car. I don't care. There should be one election day and one election day only in this country. And if you have to wait in line, suck it up. Suck it up. That can be a paid day of leave. Everyone already gives you the ability to leave work. That's not even a problem. And so everyone should have to vote in person, no matter what. We should make it convenient for people. People should get off their rears and participate in democracy. That makes sense. And in rare circumstances, the way it used to be with absentee ballots, I mean, if you're 90 years old and you literally can't get out of your house, well, you should have to prove it, just like you have to prove disability to get the disability sticker on your car to park in the disabled parking spaces. Well, somebody has to make the effort to get that approved as well. And so I'm tired of this attitude that is pervading America, of course, where, oh, you know, nothing can be inconvenient. Nothing can be hard. Everything has to be done for everybody. No, shut up. Shut up. I sound mean, don't I? It's okay. When I get a step away from this, I'll be happy with my life. But when I'm talking to you about these important issues, I cannot mince words anymore. You know, I came to this conclusion today. I'm tired of being nice because the other side's not nice. Look, I'm still a stand-up guy. 
I'm not saying I go around treating people like garbage, but I'm telling you, we need to put our foot down and stop this nonsense because we've been too nice for too long. And Jesus himself, if you're a Christian, was not nice to those tax collectors that were in the synagogue. He threw over their tables. He told them to get out of his father's house. And I'm taking the Jesus way, okay? But anyway, I'm not going to play any more audio. I just want to I just want to say to you again that we're living in the dark ages and in order to get out of the dark ages, well, we have to fight for the truth. That's our responsibility. And with all, with all this COVID nonsense, remember, 15 days to slow the spread, and we accepted that. And then they implemented mask mandates. And then they continued the lockdowns, and then they got the vaccine, and then they demanded that we get vaccinated, and then people got vaccinated, and then they demanded that every American get vaccinated, and then they said the vaccinated don't have to wear masks, but then they said that wasn't good enough, and then they said that the vaccinated and the unvaccinated could get COVID, spread COVID. The unvaccinated and the vaccinated in Oregon now have to wear masks again in public spaces. This never ends. This was the gateway to tyranny, and we took the bait. That's what happened. They're never going to give this up, and that's the truth. Masks are important to the government. Masks are important to our tyrants. Getting, putting a mask on your face, the first time we did it, made it so that they could do it to us again. And if every American gets vaccinated because of the mandated vaccines, nothing will change. Then it will be booster shots. And that's why it's important to fight this battle for our civil rights. This is the time to stand. This is time to put a stop to it. All right, this is Drew Allen. God bless you. And I will be with you again soon. Until next time.